People of Note on Fine Music Radio is proudly brought to you each week at this time by Peter Turin Productions. This is Rodney Trudgeon welcoming you to this week's edition of People of Note. And I'm excited to share with you a book that has absolutely fascinated me called Africa's Wild Dogs, a survival story, which is a large format photographic celebration of one of the continent's most charismatic and endangered predators. With only about 6,000 wild dogs left in Africa today, Wildlife photographer Jocelyn Kagan has made it her mission to bring the extraordinary lives of these often misunderstood and maligned animals into the spotlight. And her remarkable images of rarely seen interactions between the animals and her personal observations are supported by the insights of an array of scientific experts. And Jocelyn holds a Henley Business School MBA. She's an educator and public speaker and the author of four books. And she's a passionate advocate for wild dogs and has been tracking and photographing them since 2010. She's also been involved in international campaigns to raise funds for their conservation. And another thing which we'll be talking about is that all royalties from the sale of this book will be donated to the African Wild Dog Survival Fund. So, Jocelyn, it's a great pleasure to welcome you to Fine Music Radio and to congratulate you on a remarkable book. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rodney, and thank you to your listeners. Uh, It's lovely, lovely to be with you. Excellent. Well, you know what? I just have to say that sometimes I'm not a huge wildlife fanatic, and every now and again something catches my eye, and this book certainly did, mostly because of the picture on the front cover of a remarkable individual, but just the style that you've captured, the life of these animals, has fascinated me. So I have a whole lot of questions to ask you. First of all, and the most obvious question, is why the African wild dog? What has attracted you to this animal? They're lively. They're um, beautiful to look at. They're family orientated. They have table manners, which most <laughs> table parents, manners, table manners, <laughs> really? which most parents would just be really cross with their children if they exhibited it. But the fact is that they are the most amazing parents, socialized to the nth degree. They they work as a pack. They feed the young. They're passionate about looking after their young. The entire pack is involved in that. And they're a female-led predator. Oh, really? (laughs) Yes. You get an alpha male and an alpha female, but it's the female who takes the decisions. She decides which den to go to to have her pups in, and she commands the pack. And I like to call them a family because that's really what they are. Because not only does she have the litter, everybody all the other dogs feed the litter once mm-hmm. they are weaned, which happens after about 14 days. They start being weaned. And till about three months, then they're fully weaned, and that's when they leave the den area. Okay. But am I right in saying, and I have to confess that even I thought this, that the African wild dog was a problem. We didn't like them. They were they were scavengers. They were someone even called them vermin. So they've not had good press, have they? Not at all. Right from the beginning of the 1900s, the um, great white hunters who came out from from England and all over America found them in East Africa, right through Africa, and one in particular, C.W. Morn, he was absolutely horrified at their <laughs> table manners. <laughs> and he decided that they needed to be eradicated. There were a couple of reasons here. Firstly, they saw a goat and they thought, well, that's easy prey. The dog would find the goat easy prey and they didn't have to run too hard to catch the goat. And so the farmers got upset and Morn worked on this. And he also was disgusted with the way that they literally ripped the animal, their prey apart. Now, we need to understand that in every other respect, the dog is just this extraordinary animal. But the way it is, its teeth are designed, they are designed to sharpen, the canassial teeth are designed to sharpen each other, and it enables them to rip the flesh off the bone to swallow great big chunks of flesh, which they then keep in their stomachs. Now, if they, either they'll digest for themselves, or if there's a litter, they will take the, the food back to, to the den to feed the mother 
and the pups. Now, we also need to understand what else is going on with the other predators. You've got the hyena. Mm. Now, the hyena comes in and they track after the dogs and they're thieves. There's some scientific (laughs) name for them as klepto, but I call them thieves. Let's be basic about it. And they will come in and they are much bigger, they're much stronger, and they will, and they're also lazy. They don't like doing their own killing, although they are as efficient as wild dogs. And they will actually steal the dog's kill. So the dogs have to eat really quickly mm-hmm. because they need to keep they need to keep their food for themselves. Otherwise, the hyena will chase them off the kill and steal it. But not before the dogs have had a good go at the hyena and try to snap it there and bite their fleshy bottoms. So I have seen that actually happening. Yes, the there's a photograph of a bottom of a hyena being bitten that you managed to capture. <laughs> yes, it is very funny. The hyena didn't know whether to shriek or to <laughs> run with this carcass hanging out of its mouth, the skeleton hanging out of its mouth. So it was, it was an amusing situation. So that's one of the big reasons that they got named vermin. Mm. And the result of that was that there was a systematic killing of the dogs. Oh, my goodness. Farmers would just blow up dens with pups, and they just eradicated so many of the dogs. But they weren't weren't the only vermin. There were leopards were vermin, uh, cheetah were considered vermin. And it's only very recently, in recent time, that animals have been respected. Mm-hmm. So, but we still have farmers who object to the dogs. So in Namibia, we still have this terrible thing of dens being blown up. And we have farmers in South Africa who are still killing dogs. But in the main, there's a lot more cooperation. But it was just to backtrack, it was up until the 70s in Zimbabwe, five shillings was paid for a wild dog tail. My goodness. Oh, yeah. dear. Sad, isn't it? Very, very sad. And now in the last 20 years, we've been getting research coming through, which has really enlivened and enlightened people to what an extraordinary animal, not only in its physicality, but also in its social behavior and in its strategy in terms of hunting. Mm-hmm. We could learn a lot from them. Gosh, I have a list of questions here for you, Jocelyn. But first of all, let's have your first piece of music. What does a photographer of Africa's wild dogs, a survival, listen to when you're not crawling around in the bush with a camera? I love jazz. Jazz is my passion and musicals. Mm -hmm. So my first choice for you is Popsicle Toes by Michael Franks. Is there a reason for this or just that you love it? I just love it. It's got a great melody and it's just such a funny thing to name a, a piece <laughs> so of music. Toes, popsicle yes. toes. But it has all sorts of connotations to it. And I just think it's, it's a happy piece of music. Gave our rhythm He sure was good to you You can add, subtract Multiply and divide By two I know today's your birthday And I did not buy no rose But I wrote this song instead And I call it Popsicle Toad Popsicle toes Popsicle toes I always froze Popsicle toes You're so brave to expose All those popsicle toes Must have been this Pennsylvania With all this poker too How come you always low your pentax When I'm in the nude We ought to have a birthday party And you can wear your birthday clothes We can hit the floor and 
Michael Franks there, and a piece, as we said, with a curious title, Popsicle Toes, which is the first choice of my guest on People of Note this week, Jocelyn Kagan, whose beautiful book, Africa's Wild Dogs, A Survival Story, has just been published. And um, I must be careful, Jocelyn, not to rave too much because one has to be objective. But gosh, it drew me in because of the, the range and depth and intimacy of the photography. I just wanted to ask you, we were talking just before the music about hyenas. What is the difference between a wild dog and a hyena? I'm asking as an absolute novice. There's a lot of difference. They're physically very different. A hyena is much bigger, much stronger um, than the wild dog. The hyena has a sloping back and very strong hind legs, but of course then, and, and longer front legs. So he never stands with a flat back. He always mm. stands um, at an angle, whereas the wild dog is much more balanced. Also, the wild dog's coat is more patchy and painterly than the hyena, which is spotted. The hyena's jaw is much bigger and stronger, and he drools, whereas the dog doesn't do that. <laughs> Does a hyena drool? Yes, they do. How horrible. <laughs> Sounds like a dreadful creature, a hyena. <laughs> They're not my favorite. <laughs> and are they sort of, they're predators of the wild dog then, yes. aren't they, the, yes. the hyena? The pre- they're predators and lions are predators. Mm-hmm. So um, the wild dog doesn't argue with lions. If lions come across dogs who are eating, they will leave. They won't argue. Whereas The lions will leave or the dogs will no, leave? No, the dogs will the leave. The dogs will leave. Yes, ah, okay. they give in because one clup from a lion paw and the dog is dead. Yeah. So yeah. they know about that and, and they're smart. These are very smart animals. But the hyena, they will give a fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from there. And bite their bottoms. And bite their bottoms. <laughs> is there any relationship between a wild dog and a domestic dog? None whatsoever. Oh, really? Is that so? Yes. The genus of the wild dog is unique, and especially of the African wild dog, is unique to Africa. Mm-hmm. And there have been recent paleontological discoveries up in the cradle of mankind, which are starting to confirm this. 
And also there's been some genome research, which is absolutely fascinating, which does confirm the findings and the supposition of the paleontologists. So it's very exciting to have come across this very rare research. Mm. And um, it's all very recent since 2019, in fact, that it's come through. And the domestic dog mainly comes in from Eastern Asia, and whereas the wild dog is, as I say, is African. is African. Yes, there are wild dogs in South America. It's called the wild dog of South America. And then there's the Dahol of India. Oh, the same sort of species. They also look like dogs. Yes. But they are genetically totally different to the African wild yeah. dog. Because this is what fascinates me. These dogs, the wild dogs, do almost look like some of these sort of more fierce domestic dogs. They're, they're very similar in their Bodies. They are. And, you know, but their are, ears are different, aren't they? Yeah, it's completely different. Uh, there is no domestic dog with ears like an African <laughs> wild dog. <laughs> and, and the Dahol and the South American wild dog don't have these ears. These are unique. <laughs> to, South, to Africa, I should to say. To Africa, yes. Yeah. Those big round satellite ears. I love that phrase you used about satellite. You said you, you saw them with their satellite ears swiveling around and it gave a lovely image of what they must be doing. Yes. Then I I think I read somewhere in your book or somewhere that these dogs sometimes suffer from diseases that the domestic dog has somehow introduced. How is that possible? They don't have the resistance in the immune system to withstand rabies or distemper. Oh, really? Really? Yeah. So what will happen is most of the dogs in South Africa and Southern Africa are in reserves. But there are some that are free-ranging. And what happens is they will escape out of the reserve. And they're generally on the borders of the reserves, you'll find community territory. And they'll go into the communities, which is unless there's uh, an agreement between the community and the reserve, it's a dangerous place for the dogs to be. And they will come in contact with domestic dogs. They are friendly. They're the most extraordinary friendly animals. And they're, because they kiss a lot and they're very tactile and kinesthetic in the way that they touch each other, the wild dogs, they, they do this with the domestic dogs. So they're not aggressive to the domestic dogs, but many rural domestic dogs carry these illnesses and mm -hmm. they just pass them on and the wild dog, a wild dog pack can get wiped out in a couple of days. I'm so fascinated that you say they're affectionate and they kiss and all that because one of the questions I'm dying to ask you when we get into more detail, certainly about your photography, is how you seem to be so close up to them, lying, you said, I think, on the ground with your elbows, with your camera and your lens. And like the picture on the front cover, this dog comes up to you in a curious, quizzical sort of way, and you never felt scared? Not at all, no. There was a pup. The, it was in mana pools. There were about 25 in the pack at the time. And we had, uh, it was very early in the morning. Light was perfect, and we were, had crept around, and these pups had come up. Look, they're not sitting on top of me. Remember, I've got a strong of lens. Of course, yes, yes. But they are close enough to get the kind of magnification of the dog and the clarity through the lens. Mm. And they were just curious. They wanted to know who we are. I think my closest encounter was later in the book with the dogs in Tanzania. That's when I was absolutely blown away. They were completely entranced by who we were. It, but it, they were very clever. There was a herd of wildebeest. You know, this is all in the book with yes, photographs. I and saw the wildebeest pictures, yes. yes gosh. And there were calves there, and they like to eat wildebeest calves. They, they're good prey for them. So they had come over the hill, and they had seen us, and they seen the wildebeest, and one of them went behind to scout out the wildebeest, and then they kept coming to us. And this dog joined in, and then they came, kept coming, and a couple of them kept coming to us while a couple of scouts went to check out the wildebeest. Yeah. And eventually, this one particular dog kept coming closer and closer, and we kept backing away, so backing away, backing away, because one wants to be respectful of the animals and keep that distance. Mm. But this animal was determined, so I sat down on the running board of the car, my feet stretched out in front of me. I could not change cameras or lenses because uh, there was no time. And you do not move, you don't make a sound, so except, you know, there's the click of the camera, which they mm -hmm. had gotten used to. Mm -hmm. 
And he kept coming and coming. He says, sniffed my toes. Oh, my goodness. Which was quite something. My heart was racing. <laughs> but I was, oh, I was absolutely shaking with excitement and just clicking away. So that was the dog peering into the lens. Yes. Is that the one that you used on the front cover? No, the one from Manipools is the one I used okay, on the front cover. Okay, this was cover. the one from the wildebeest scene. That was the one from the wildebeest scene who uh, kept coming. And that was an older dog, as a mature dog, whereas the one on the cover is a pup. What sort of size are they? Are they the size of a, what we think of as a dog? As a big dog, yes. A big dog, yes. Mm. Like an Alsatian. Uh, yes, about the height. They, they're not as chunky as an Alsatian, and their mm. coats are a lot uh, smoother than an Alsatian. Um, but, yeah, a good medium-sized dog that we know about. So right. they stand about just slightly less than a meter okay. high. Okay. Right now, um, Jocelyn, I think it's time for your next piece of music. And what have you chosen for us? I love Windmills of Your Mind, the Elaine Page version. And you're going to ask me why. Yes, I'm going to ask you why. And the reason is that I just think it has the most beautiful, beautiful melody. And I think we all get into windmills of our minds. It mm -hmm. is something that we do, we will about, and we need to find a way out. of your mind with Elaine Page, one of the lovely songs there, and the choice of my guest on People of Note this week, Jocelyn Kagan, whose book Africa's Wild Dogs, A Survival Story, has really captivated me. Certainly it's a coffee table book with the most extraordinary photographs. 
Um, Jocelyn, a couple of questions, just practical questions about the book. First of all, how did you know where to find the dogs? That was a really good question. Dogs are a <laughs> chance meeting. Well, that's what I thought. <laughs> because they run so fast and they, they disappear into bush in a flash. Mm. The meeting in Tanzania was really by chance. We had two days with the dogs. When I say two days, it was like an, um, a half an hour and then another snatch of another half an hour, an hour. And then they vanished for five days. We looked for them. We couldn't find them. You don't find the dogs. They find you. Marnapools, they were they uh, lived a lot on the floodplain. So I did a lot of my photography in Marnapools. Also, Where the, is that, Marnapools? Zimbabwe. Is that Zimbabwe? Okay. And okay. the joy of Zimbabwe or, or going to Marnapools is that you can get out of the vehicle and you can walk which enabled me to get down on the ground and to, mm. to get into the dirt and to really get at eye level with the dog. That's the part of the fascination of this book, that eye level with a dog thing I found completely captivating. It is, and it's, it's <laughs> taking dog portraits. Yes, absolutely. Uh, which is very unusual. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think too many photographers would look for that, but it definitely is the win if you can get them to look into the lens without doing anything, mm. just allow their curiosity to come through. So that was Manipur's. Uh, Botswana, was shot, uh, all the shots were from the vehicle. And then in Tanzania, of the dogs, you've got the pictures in the book of the dogs romping through water and playing in yes. water. They love yes. playing in water. Yes. Uh, that was also a chance meeting. It was our last morning up in the Timbavati and we saw this dog just flash in front of the vehicle. It was chasing an impala, and they made a kill and then came up to the dam where they romped, and we were able to photograph them from the vehicle. So, yes, and in fact, the picture on the back cover of the, of the book with the tails, the three yes. tails, <laughs> yes. people were saying, why are you taking their tails? Because they're, they're fabulous tails. Absolutely. They, they're fluffy. And, they're and you can cool. still see a lot of the colors of the dogs, yes. these these unique colors that these wild dogs have extraordinary coloration and Mm. what's even more interesting is that they change from east coast of africa to the west to the west of africa so they are um, a lot darker in east africa and and then they somehow get lighter and then botswana they're about the lightest and also their tail tips Many of them have black tail tips instead of white tail tips. So it's mm-hmm. very, very interesting. And that apparently is all to do with their amino acids. Their amino acids? Yes, their okay. amino acids, yes. Okay. <laughs> and in South Africa, are there any in South Africa itself? Yes, there are about five, 600 wild dogs, especially in the Kruger Park and up in KZN. There are strongholds of dogs in reserves. Mm-hmm. And in reserves which are sustainable to keeping the dogs and where the dogs can hunt. Then, of course, there's a big population in Botswana, smaller population in Tanzania. Which you knew all about before you undertook this project. Presumably you knew where these dogs were and where to go. Wasn't that organized? Was it not? (laughs) No. It was really, it all started to evolve in 2015 when I was in Manipools and I shot the image of the dog on the cover. That really got me. And mm-hmm. then slowly I just kept photographing the dogs and would get more and more excited whenever I saw them. In 2018, I met up with Mike Gunton of BBC, the executive producer of BBC Natural History uh, Division. And he was in Manipur's to launch his Painted Wolf program, which was part of Dynasties. And we were sitting at dinner having a conversation. And I happened to mention to him that I had lots of photographs of wild dogs. I was passionate about them, and I would like to have a little exhibition of seven photographs or five photographs. And by the end of dinner, it was a calendar. And (laughs) by the end of two days, I was thinking it was a book. book, (laughs) And then then I really started going all out to photograph the dogs. But again, it's a chance. You can go on a, a photographic safari. As a woman, I wouldn't go into the bush on my own, even if with a driver. You always need a guide in the bush. And so I went with uh, with other photographers and shot what I could and just was as diligent as I could be and as focused as I could be whenever we were around the dogs. And then when it came to be published, because as I've been saying, it's a beautiful object, for want of a better word, uh, this book, a coffee table book. To get all those photographs and to get with such clarity and the text and all that, you must have had a good publisher or someone very much on your side. 
I very much did. I have the most wonderful man, Simon Bishop. He is in Bristol, the UK. I met up with him at the beginning of 2019. He loved my photographs and said, yes, he would do the design. And then I, I went over to the London Book Fair last year and met up with Merlin Unwin Publishers. And they love the concept of saving Africa's wild dogs. They mm. do a, a lot of beneficial work and they publish a lot for benefit. And they wanted to publish the book, and I wasn't going to say no, the international audience <laughs> and international readership. And oh. that's what I'm looking for is to educate people a lot about the dogs without making the text boring or making it a textbook. And so it was Merlin Unwin, it was Simon Bishop, and then Anna Levin helped out with um, with the text. And then Random House South Africa decided that they would distribute. So... Um, that's how this whole story came together. And we finished the book as lockdown came in. Oh, my. Yes. So everything was done on WhatsApp and email. And, yeah, it was a fantastic experience. And, yes, you can write a book and have an international team come together and produce what you have in, your, in front of you. A beautiful, beautiful book Thank and you. some more music from my guest, Jocelyn, of Africa's Wild Dogs Survival Story. And what do we have next? I Could Have Danced All Night from My Fair Lady. Ah, a favorite musical of mine. I don't know about you. Yes. Why do you like it so much? Fred? I just love the, the language. I love Professor Higgins. I love Eliza Doolittle, the whole setting and all the music. It's the most wonderful music. Every song is a gem. And um, that's why I like it. But it's not me. It's you that's chosen it. Well, because when you feel happy and you, <laughs> of course, I saw My Fair Lady with passion. And, and it's always a song that comes up for me when I'm in love. Oh. Because then you can go dancing because it brings out that wonderful joie de vivre Absolutely. and that wonderful feeling. Which it does in the story so does, beautifully. Yes. Let's enjoy I Could Have Danced All Night from My Fair Lady. Bed, bed, I couldn't go to bed. My head's too light to try to set it down. Sleep, sleep. I couldn't sleep tonight, not for all the jewels in the crown. I could have danced all night, I could have danced all night, and still have begged for more. I could have spread my wings and done a thousand things I've never done.
wonderful musical My Fair Lady. I could have danced all night from the film soundtrack there. My guest on People of Note here on Fine Music Radio is Africa's Wild Dogs, a survival story, Jocelyn Kagan, who is the photographer and producer of this book. What I found interesting, Jocelyn, is that talking about the text, you have got interesting people, academics and so on, to contribute to the book. Was that an idea you had or how did that come about and were they willing they were very willing to come about. That was in a discussion with Random House uh, originally, and Pippa Parker was, she just is the most extraordinary person in publishing and very generous with her ideas. And she said, well, they had just published The Last Elephant very successfully, and that has many scientists in it and their scientific contributions. I did not want to hand over the whole concept of Africa's Wild Dogs, the survival story, to scientists as they did in The Last Elephant. So I invited a couple of scientists to come in and conservationists. People were extraordinarily generous with their time because they're busy people. Not Mm. only are they doing research, but they're running departments and business and all the rest of it. But they came in. And we've got um, Dr. Harriet Davies-Mostard from EWT, Endangered Wildlife Trust. And her passion has been wild dogs for over 20 years. And she has uh, written the most really penetrating article on the range, um, on the range program, range expansion program, which is making sure that the dogs don't just stay congregated in South Africa, but that they go into sustainable reserves throughout Africa. So they are rehabilitating wild dogs in Africa. Then there's Dr. Peter Apps from Botswana Predator Conservation Trust, and he's doing the most fascinating research on how dogs mark territory, just the way our domestic dogs do, where they pee and how they meet other dogs. So they did this experiment with um, with cameras, camera traps, and they actually found out who marks territory. And it's the alpha male and the alpha female that actually mark the territory. Their end result is to, or their end goal, is to create in the laboratory a smell that, or a, match that up with the, the scent that the dogs leave so that the boundaries of reserves can be sprayed and keep ah. the dogs in the reserves. Right. And uh, I was uh, on my trip to Tanzania. This dog was peeing in a puddle. And I thought, I've got to take a photo of that. And that was before I knew Peter and, and his work. And the people I was with were, what's she taking a picture of a dog peeing in a puddle? Well, there's the opportunity to use it. So as a photographer, you go out and you take, you photograph everything. Then we've got um, Rosemary Groom. She's from Zimbabwe. Her problem, biggest problem that she's dealing with is snaring. So I really wanted to make that a point for our readers and for people around the world. They can contribute to Africa's Wild Dog Survival Fund because that money goes back out into those organizations working with the wild dogs. And this is the organization you've you've formed and that all the proceeds of this book go to? All all the royalties. Mm -hmm. And then I've been selling my photographs and the royalties and the uh, profits from that have gone to the dogs. So I've been already been able to pay out and with joy to Botswana. A predator conservation trust, Zambia predator conservation trust, and mm-hmm. of course to Rosemary Groom and her Africa's wildlife 
trust. Yeah, and some, and so the, I, I brought these people together, and they've been amazing. Gosh, that's it. Sounds like a project that was meant to be, doesn't it? It does. Um, just let me ask you, what sort of camera do you use? Uh, obviously, you have a rather sophisticated instrument. I'm using Nikon's. I started off with a Nikon D750, and now I'm do, working with D80s. And lenses. My absolutely my most favorite lens is a Nikon two to four hundred. That's a zoom lens. I love that. But I've worked with the D five hundred lens, which is a fixed lens. Getting used to that as a new lens. It's much lighter than the two to four hundred. And yes, uh, one uses an array of lenses. But yes, that's my favorite lens. But have you? Has photography always been your thing? No. Oh, no. No. I was given a camera for my 16th birthday, and I loved taking photographs. But then I went into educating corporate, and that's when I taught people presentation skills and public speaking. And I went into, and that's when I published most of my work. Then I thought, oh, hang on a minute. I've done this now for a while. Let me move on. I did my Henley MBA and uh, wrote a book on MBA schools. And in 2000, a lot of brain research had come through, and I'd always been interested in learning and had delved very deeply into Tony Buzan's work and mind maps, which and spider patterns, call them what you want. So I wrote a book on brain-based executive education, and there again I got people writing in articles from the business world and then linked that with brain research. So, yes, I've been kind of a collaborator for a long time, and then – after that, I was like, oh, what do I do now? And <laughs> again, I got a present as a camera, and I went off to the Antarctic and started taking photographs. And so that was about 2008. And so really, I've been at it since 2008, sporadically, but 2015 really took off. And I think this might be a bit of a magnum opus for you because it's such an extraordinary book. But I'm sure there are many more to come. <laughs> um, let's have one more piece of music. Robbie Williams, Jocelyn, I see. What is the reason for this? You know, all my guests have to justify why they've chosen a piece of music. <laughs> I just love Cole Porter. What can I say? The romance of Cole Porter, the romance of the 30s, 40s, um, 20s, 30s, 40s, the dress – the mood mm. so delovely is just and robbie williams with that album he did was such a joy he did it so well didn't he, he did. unexpectedly almost unexpectedly yes i feel a sudden urge to sing the kind of ditty that invokes the spring so control your desire to curb well, I crucify the verse This verse you've started seems to me The temp antithesis of melody So to spare you all the pain I'll skip the darn thing and sing the refrain me, 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 re, 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 do, so, mi, do, la, si. Take it away. The night is young, the skies are clear, so if you want to go walking, dear, it's delightful, it's delicious, it's lovely. I understand the reason why you're sentimental, because so am I. It's delightful, it's delicious, it's lovely. You can tell at a glance. What a swell night this is for romance You can hear dear mother nature murmuring low Let yourself go so please just sweet my chickadee When I kiss you just say to me It's delightful, it's delicious, it's delectable It's delirious, it's dilemma, it's the limit It's deluxe, it's the lovely 
Time marches on and soon it's plain You've won my heart and I lost my brain It's delightful, it's delicious It's the lovely Life seems so sweet that we decide It's in the bag to get unified It's delightful, it's delicious It's the lovely See the crowd in that church See the proud parson plopped on his perch Get the sweet beat of that organ ceiling cartoon Here goes the group, boom! How they cheer and how they smile As we go galloping down the aisle It's divine, dear, it's divine, dear It's divine, divine, it's the victory It's develop, it's divina Up to eat wedding cake It's delightful It's delicious It's the lovely It feels so fine To be a bride And how's the groom Why he's slightly fried It's delightful It's delicious It's the lovely To the pop of champagne Up we hop in our plush little plane Till a bright light through the darkness Cozily falls Niagara Falls All's well, my love Our day's complete What a beautiful bridal sweet It's dreamy It's the rousy It's the reverie It's the rhapsody It's the regal It's the royal It's the red It's the lovely We settle down as man and wife To solve the riddle called married life It's delightful, it's delicious It's Robbie Williams there having a bash at Cole Porter with that song, De Lovely, and another choice of my guest, Jocelyn Kagan, and her amazing book, Africa's Wild Dogs, a survival story. One of the things, well, the couple of just before we end with you, Jocelyn, is I was fascinated by one of the articles about voting by sneezing. Can you just explain, because that was quite a, a little hook I found in the book. Renee Walker was a student at the time. I think she was busy doing her master's. And she was in Botswana working with the Botswana Predator Conservation Trust. And um, this is fascinating because they were observing the dogs from vehicles over a period of time, a couple, I think for two years. And they, and they noticed that the question was, how do the dogs know when to wake up? Now, let's remember that the dogs always find shade. So they'll hunt in the morning. They will then dust down from, they hunt just before dawn. Then they'll dust down and they will just keep creeping into the shade, lying on top of each other in the heat. But okay, we can't explain that. And they will sleep the whole day. How do they know when to wake up? And what they noticed, because the dogs have these very distinctive painterly coats, they could identify which dog was moving first. And they saw that when a dog would get up and go to the others, it would give a little <laughs> blow air through its nose. Mm. If the dog was of lower rank, it took many more sneezes, in inverted commas, to get the pack to wake up. But if it was the alpha, either a male or female, who went up to the pack and went, gave the little sneeze, they would get up immediately and go and hunt. There was no dilly-dallying. My goodness. So this was an absolutely fascinating piece of, of research, which really caught the attention of many people. And I just could not do the book without having her <laughs> there with her sneeze to leave. <laughs> As I said, it caught my eye. I thought, goodness me, do they bark? Like a dog, a domestic dog? No, I have heard them, um, they give a woo call, 
when they're calling to each other, when they're lost. So, mm-hmm. for example, if they they've got lost during a hunt, mm-hmm. they found the kill, they've killed, and now they'll call the others to come in. Those who still have got uh, are out. Uh, they will give a little um, a growl, more of a growl than a domestic bark. Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard that being done when the pups are, have been venturing too close to a human, to me. Uh, then the adults will give them a warning. So the oh, warning is not for me, it's for the pups. And you can immediately see the pups. The pups will sit down immediately or back, go back. So the parents are vigilant about what their pups are doing mm-hmm. because they protect them and they know how precious those pups are. Invariably, they lose 50% of a litter. So they, they're very careful. And again, it goes back to that thing you spoke about, affection. Yes, uh, between that you picked up that you found so moving completely they they are just passionate about their pups, they will discipline their pups most severely, so the, the wild dogs have their moments, and i 've seen them really get cross with a pup, roll them over, and um, nibble at their tummies and <laughs> you know, uh, and then kiss and all is forgotten literally kiss yeah they 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 mouth each other and then they lick you can see them licking each other Mm -hmm. and also another way that the dogs if the dog the pups want food they'll lick the adult's mouth and that is a a sign that the adult must now regurgitate which they invariably so they actually regurgitate what those great big chunks that you said at the beginning that they eat yes for the young ones to eat yes they they will come back to the den they'll regurgitate for the uh, for the mother um, the alpha female, and once the pups are already starting to be weaned, they'll regurgitate for them. And the pups will squeak, <laughs> and an adult will get up out of the shade, and they'll have a communication. They'll look at each other, and they'll decide which one is going to go up to the pups. That adult will check those pups, and then will regurgitate meat for them, a big chunk of meat. The pups will take it, and whatever the pups don't take, the adult will re-eat, and the pups will invariably play with the food and leave bits lying around, as children will do. <laughs> you're going to miss the wild dogs, aren't you? Or maybe not, because you're still involved with this organization, African Wild Dog Survival Fund. But, I mean, are you sad that the book's finished? I mean, you must be thrilled that the book is finished, but you know what I mean. Oh, it's not. It's the beginning of the next phase. I'm sure that um, I will go back into the bush. I go into the bush a lot. I've planned a lot for next year in Africa mm-hmm. and regional travel, which we can do easily. And it'll always be a thrill for me to be with the dogs. No, I'm quite sure that there'll be another book in the offering. I'll find a new angle. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> and then come and tell us about it here on Fine Music Radio. Be my pleasure. Justin, it's been fascinating talking to you. As I said right at the beginning and through the interview, the book absolutely captured my attention. We sometimes, I think, get a bit punch drunk with all the sort of wildlife, animal, planet, all those things. But this book has got something that draws you to it, especially the front cover picture with those eyes. So thank you for coming by. And may I say congratulations. Thank you very, very much, Rodney. It's been an absolute pleasure being here and great fun. (laughs) And thanks for sharing lovely music with us. And to end, Jocelyn, your book has a lot of lovely quotes. I particularly like this one from A.A. Milne. Some people talk to animals. Not many people listen, though. That's the problem. There's something to consider. Jocelyn Kagan was my guest on People of Note this week, brought to you by Peter Turin Productions. 